0: So we continue to talk about and press in together on this theme of God's love for people and specifically how we experience his love. What impact does it have in our lives? What are the practical ways in which it touches us and changes us? And so this morning, our focus is on rest for the weary, refreshment for the weary. This is an experience that Jesus Himself offers people out of the depths of His love for us. Now, uh, before we get to the, the beautiful words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 11, um, let me just begin with a common misunderstanding that I think needs to be addressed right out of the gate. In fact, there's, a, there's an idiom in English, a saying that's familiar to many people. Perhaps you've heard it, perhaps you've even recited it on occasion. And it goes like this, there's no rest for the weary. In fact, here's one illustrator's idea of how that phrase should be interpreted. It pictures a mom with a baby in one arm and an empty coffee cup in the other. And uh, another young child tugging on her uh, on her leg, her pajamas, and you can see the look on her face, right? This says it all. Now, let's be honest. Have you ever felt like this before? Okay, come on now. Maybe you're not even a mom, right? Maybe you can't relate to the specifics of that picture, but has that look ever crossed your face? How about this week? Anybody? Right? Exactly. Exactly. This is not an uncommon experience for us. We find ourselves feeling this way at times and wondering what to do about it. And here's here's the lie that I want to combat right out of the gate. Our culture, and perhaps there's even a more sinister source than that, our culture would have us believe that there is no rest for the weary. That's the idiom. That's the common phrase that people in our society have adopted when they feel this way. And it creates an expectation, of course, that when you feel this way, there's no relief. It's just going to get worse. You just have to suck it up and persevere. That's what we do. That's what we do as Americans. We've learned to just suck it up and persevere. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that 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 idiom, no rest for the weary, is not true. We might feel that way sometimes. We might think that that statement is true for us in any given moment. But it directly contradicts the Word of God. It directly contradicts the promise of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. And so let's press in together on this, and I want you to see the impact of Jesus' words, the promise, the invitation and the promise that he offers us in direct contradiction to that idiom. So we'll begin uh, here with Matthew eleven twenty eight, because really what I want you to see first and foremost is the invitation that Jesus offers you. Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Anybody want to raise their hand right now? And the point here is that Jesus invites us to bring our burdens to him and to let him help us bear them. That's the invitation of Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. Jesus invites us, if you'd put that up for me, Carson, Jesus invites us to bring our burdens to him and let him help us bear them. Now, maybe I don't have to explain this because I think we've all felt this way, probably on numerous occasions, but what exactly does it mean to be weary and burdened? Something tells me that's a phrase that that most of us understand intuitively. We're no strangers to feeling weary and burdened. But let's be clear about the kind of weariness that Jesus is talking about here. This promise isn't necessarily about physical weariness, though there may be a component of that. Like the feeling that you get after a long day of spring yard work when you've been sitting behind your desk all winter, That's not the kind of weariness that Jesus is speaking to. That kind of work may make you tired physically, and yet, ironically, it may actually refresh your soul in an unexpected way. Anybody enjoy doing yard work for that very reason, right? What Jesus is inviting us to is more spiritual than physical. He's not talking about the kind of physical weariness that you have necessarily at the end of uh, some manual labor. He's talking about the spiritual and emotional weariness that accumulates over time from the burdens that we carry in life. So this kind of weariness may involve your body, it may affect your body, of course, but the kind of burdens and weariness that Jesus is speaking about are not just physical, they are emotional. They're mental, their, their inner burdens. In fact, if you listen closely to the rest of the invitation, as it continues in verse 29, this becomes clear. Matthew eleven twenty-nine. 29, Jesus continues, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Rest for your souls. So, as verse 29 indicates, Jesus is talking about the weariness that comes from what burdens our souls, not our bodies. So this promise then is not so much about physical weariness, but about mental and emotional weariness. It's about those things, those experiences in life that weigh heavily upon a person's soul, and your soul, of course, is your inner man or woman. It's that combination of your mind, your will, and your emotions that controls what your body decides to do or not to do. I think the point here to recognize for all of us right out of the gate is that Jesus knows life is hard. He understands the challenges we face. He knows that there are difficulties that confront us every day. He knows that our souls grow weary from bearing the cumulative weight of life's ongoing challenges and adversities. Every once in a while, I'll hear uh, my wife utter this phrase, and I know what it means and how she's feeling when she says it. It goes like this, somebody stop the merry-go-round and let me off. (laughs) So let me give you an illustration for the kind of burdens that I'm describing, the kind of weariness of soul that can afflict each and every one of us. So I'm going to pick on my daughter here, Sophia, to help me out because I brought a prop this morning. So come on up. Sophia, I want you to grab uh, my backpack over there and uh, carry it on over here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How's that feel? <laughs> well, why don't you open it up and take a look so let's see what's in there oh, that'd be nice. wrong, wrong pocket that's the, it's the next one not the, the one in the middle there oh yeah what do you know <laughs> <laughs> alright um, so there's a few rocks in there Yeah, Uh, there's about 15 or so, about like this. Okay, here, put those back in there. All right, and actually, I'll just keep one for a minute as an illustration. Why don't you put that back on and just um, stand there and hold it for me for a few minutes, okay? You don't mind, do you? Don't hurt yourself. Right. Okay, all right. So what I want you to think about with me is that there are numerous experiences in our lives, that can be like picking up a rock and carrying it around. Let me give you some some examples to think about. Your spouse is angry at you for not sufficiently meeting their needs, or you're disappointed with your spouse for not meeting your needs. That can be a rock. Your son or daughter is struggling in school, and not motivated enough to improve their study habits. Another rock. You're lonely and isolated due to the busyness of life and the shallowness of typical relationships. A rock. You're treated unfairly at work and expected to do an unrealistic amount of work in a short period of time. Your boss blame shifts and scapegoats you when they are really responsible for certain projects not getting completed. You're stressed by the realization that your financial commitments consistently outpace your income, and your debt is increasing. Your aging parent has a health crisis, and you have to help manage their household while they recover. You're accused and criticized by someone that you care about of being irresponsible and self-centered. And then, of course, there's the weight of your own personal failures, especially the ones that only you know about your sins, those things that you've done or failed to do that plague you with a sense of guilt and shame. I thought Jacqueline's story was a fantastic illustration of what I'm trying to describe for you right now. Because what it illustrates is that over time, these experiences in life, these burdens, begin to weigh us down. And we carry them around from day to day today thinking there's nothing else to do I have to carry this this is my burden to bear okay. Okay, where is it? Okay. thank you oh, yeah. good work you're doing great yeah <laughs> you thought you were done I don't know. <laughs> how's that feel that that's probably a good idea. All right. <laughs> so my point here with this illustration, i I'll, I guess I'll let you put it down. Okay. I'll be I'll be a nice dad. You could wear it the rest of the sermon. I could. Okay. All right. Uh, probably not. So of course there are this whole host of experiences. Uh things that I didn't mention, right? I just wanted to give you a few examples to think about. Uh, but um, just to make sure that I'm hitting the mark, uh, would you raise your hand if any one of the things I mentioned applies to you? Uh, see? There you go. So all of us struggle with the challenges of life, the burdens that we bear. And they weigh upon us emotionally. They weigh upon us spiritually They are like a weight upon our souls, like a pack of rocks that we're carrying around in the Spirit. In fact, some translations of Scripture even characterize the word burdened as literally meaning tired from carrying heavy loads. But again, bear in mind that what Jesus is describing here is not a physical reality, it's a spiritual reality. It's a it's a reality of the soul, of the inner man. Such burdens may take their toll on the body too, but the point is that they weigh upon our minds and our spirits. They plague us with frustration or discouragement or weariness or even despair. So what are we to do with this baggage that we've got? Well, the invitation of Jesus is really rather simple if you, if you stop and think about it. If you look at his words and, and listen closely to his words, Here's what Jesus says. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus says. That's the invitation. Come and bring it all to me. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So that's the invitation. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, what I want you to see next is that Jesus follows up the invitation with a promise, right? He doesn't just say, come, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, although those are great words encouraging in and of themselves, but he follows up the invitation with a promise. And this is the good part right here. Jesus promises to provide rest and refreshment to those who are yoked with him. He promises. And I think he's pretty good at keeping his word. So this is a promise worth grabbing hold of so that we can welcome its fulfillment in our lives. And yet, let me warn you here, it's also a promise we have to be careful with. Careful specifically not to misinterpret, lest we wind up disappointed again that our expectations weren't met. You see, here's the thing you have to be careful about Jesus doesn't say, Come to me and give me your bag of rocks, and I will take it all myself. Did you think that's what he was saying? Did you think that he was saying that you don't have to carry it at all? Listen and look closely at what he says and think about what it means. Jesus is promising to provide rest and refreshment to those who are yoked with him. And as you think about those words, as you think about the promise that he offers here, notice that he's not offering to snap his fingers and immediately banish every adversity from your life. He's not offering to take all of your burdens away and remove them from you entirely. So if that's what you expect him to do on the basis of this promise, be careful, beware, because what he's really offering to do is to help you carry them and to teach you how to carry them most effectively, most efficiently. Refer back to a moment, you know, to this backpack of rocks illustration, and notice that you you might grow much less weary if you carry the backpack around like this, right? Or even with both arms over the shoulder, as opposed to trying to carry it like this. You're going to grow weary a lot quicker if you don't do it in the right way, the best way. So here's the promise Jesus offers, Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To understand this promise and how to apply it in our lives, how to experience its fulfillment in our lives, we have to to get right down into the nitty-gritty of what Jesus is describing here and how it really works. You see, the analogy that Jesus is using gets to the heart of what he's really offering to do for us. It's the analogy of the yoke. The yoke. A yoke, if you're not familiar with this terminology, is a wooden frame joining two animals, typically oxen, together for pulling a heavy load. So in Jesus' day, farmers would commonly use a yoke, a kind of collar, to link two oxen to each other. The yoke was then attached to some other object, such as a plow, and linked by the yoke, the two oxen could then work together, pulling whatever burden was attached to the yoke. You see the significance of this analogy? Here's the key to this revelation that Jesus is offering us. He's applying this image of the yoke to our life with him. So experiencing the promise of rest and refreshment is wrapped up in our understanding of how this analogy works. The yoke. What is it and how does it work? What does it mean for us to be yoked together together? With Jesus. I love the way that one blogger and and author, a woman named Carrie Weems, describes this. Here's what she writes just one short paragraph that I've lifted from her blog. Don't you think it's a little bit strange that Jesus' idea of getting us to rest in Him involves putting on a yoke? A yoke was not created for rest. It was created for work. It literally has nothing to do with rest at all. When Jesus invited the weary and the heavy laden to come to him and find rest, we might expect him to say something like, Hey, take off that yoke you're wearing. You don't need it anymore. Doesn't that feel great? Now run, be free. But Jesus' solution for yoke weariness was not to cast off the yoke entirely. It was to yoke ourselves to him. To walk in step with him. So a farmer, in using a yoke, would commonly train a younger oxen by partnering them with a stronger and more mature oxen. The job of the younger partner ox was simply to follow in the same direction and keep pace with the teacher ox, the leader. The older ox would pull most of the weight and would understand all of the commands of its master. So the point of the analogy is not that Jesus will carry our burdens all by himself, but rather that he will teach us how to let him help us carry them. We still have to carry them in part. We still have some work to do, but Jesus is offering to help us in an arrangement where he leads and we follow. Only by keeping pace with him can we carry the burdens that come our way more efficiently, more lightly. I want to give you an image to think about. In fact, I want to show you just a a few-minute-long video. And as you watch this, I want you to imagine this as a picture of you in partnership, in relationship with Jesus. Check this out. So that's the image. That's the image Jesus has in mind as he speaks these words, friends. That's the image behind the invitation and the promise. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, how is it that Jesus is able to make such an offer? How is it that he can say those words to people like us and actually be able to keep them, be able to fulfill them? How how can Jesus do this? What makes it possible for him to help us in this way? Let me just pause for a few moments and encourage you to reflect on the character of Jesus. The life of Jesus, who He is, and what He's like. You see, the first thing that we have to recognize behind this promise is that Jesus offers it to us in love. He doesn't say it in this particular passage, but we should know, right, from the revelation of Scripture and other places that that the motivating factor, the motivating force behind this promise in Jesus' life is his love for people like us. Jesus loves us so much that he doesn't want us to bear the burdens of life by ourselves. He's a lover of the souls of men and women, and he loves us enough to want to help us find relief from life's burdens. He wants what's good for us, an abundant life of rest and peace as opposed to a life of perpetual weariness and anxiety. So the offer and promise of Jesus to provide help for those who are soul-weary needs to be understood first and foremost as an act of love, an offer of love. But there's more. There's more. Notice that Jesus says of himself in verse 29, I am gentle and humble of heart. Why is that important? Why would he make a point to give us that insight in the context of this promise? Well, what this means for us is that if we're willingly yoked to him, Jesus is easy to work with. Easy to work with. He's gentle and he's humble of heart. In other words, he's not domineering. He's not controlling. He's not a domineering ox leader who's resistant either to the taskmaster, in this case the Father in heaven, or to those that he would be yoked with, to us. He's willingly submitted both to the Father and to working with us, being partnered with us, or yoked with us. In fact, the prayer that Jesus offers in the preceding verses serves to illustrate his submission to the Father, his servanthood to the Father. And we find this in numerous places throughout the Gospels, right? Another great example being John chapter 5, where Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. The dominant characteristic of Jesus' incarnate life was his complete obedience to the Father's will. Absolute, perfect obedience to the Father's will. So think of the Father in this analogy as the taskmaster, the plow driver, the one who's leading the pair of oxen to accomplish what he desires. Jesus, as the leader in the pair of oxen, is perfectly committed to working with the Father and for the Father to accomplish what the Father wants to get done in our lives. So if we're partnered with Jesus, if we're yoked with him, then he will always lead us in the right direction. Isn't that beautiful? But there's one other factor at work here too. Let's not forget that Jesus is also wise. Wise. In fact, you could say he's the personification of the wisdom of God, which is precisely what we need when we find ourselves in difficult situations, isn't it? We need wisdom from heaven about what to do or what not to do. Listen to the words of biblical commentator Myron Augsburger who puts it this way in describing the significance of Jesus' character with regard to this analogy. He says, Jesus' rest is a yoke of wisdom that unites persons with himself. He offers rest, for he's not only the bearer of the wisdom of God, he is that wisdom personified. Such rest is the singleness of our relationship with Christ, the rest of knowing his provision. Discipleship is thereby kept from being a legalistic striving and instead becomes a joyous fellowship with Jesus. So being yoked with Jesus then is not about, uh, it's it's all about having him as our partner, right? Pulling with us toward the Father and his kingdom. In this way, if we're in sync with him, by being bound together with him, pulling the yoke together with him, we find a relative degree of rest. Our burdens become easier to bear because they're shared with Him. He's helping us. The people in Jesus' day were were using the yoke of the law commonly to pull their life and everything in it along, and it left them, commonly left them tired and burned out on religion. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul wrote on several occasions about being freed from the yoke of slavery so that we can come under a yoke of grace instead. This is a move, a transition from depending on your own efforts and ability to depending on God's grace and power for you. I'm reminded here of of Jesus' words to his disciples just before he went to the cross. He said to them in John 16, I've told you these things... So that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. So Jesus' offer of peace and rest, then, is an amazing promise. And it's one that he offers to each and every one of us. Let me close with this. Just a couple minutes longer, we're almost finished here, but I want you to I want you to think with me about one last piece of the puzzle here. How do we actually experience this reality? What do we do to respond to the invitation and the promise? How does rest and refreshment actually come to us when we bring our weariness to Jesus? Here's what I think it amounts to to respond to the invitation and promise of Jesus is to willingly and consistently submit your life to being yoked with him. In other words, this is an act of the will. This is a decision that we have to make. And it's not just a one-time decision, although it begins with a commitment to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus, and to walk with Jesus. This is a commitment that we make again and again and again throughout our lives. It's a daily act of submission, surrender. How does Jesus actually do this for us? How does he relieve us from the weight of the burdens that we're carrying? How does he provide us with rest? How do we yoke ourselves to him? We have to willingly respond to his invitation and promise. We have to choose to bring him our burdens. We have to allow ourselves to be yoked with him and to stay yoked with him. And we do that daily through the simple act of submission that we call prayer. Prayer. Did you know that? Did you know that this is all about how we offload the burdens that we bear? In other words, this act of being yoked to Jesus is an inward spiritual reality Nobody's going to come along and and cast a real wooden yoke over your neck. In this analogy that Jesus was using, the point was to say to us, I want to partner with you. I want to help you carry the burdens that you have to bear. And I will do that if you'll come to me and bring them to me and allow me to teach you how to bear them. The heart of any meaningful relationship, any meaningful partnership between one person and another is communication. Sharing our burdens with one another is how any relationship thrives. What I'm saying is that the way that we walk this out is in communication with Jesus, by bringing him the burdens that weigh upon our souls. We bring our burdens to him. We invite him to help us and to teach us how to bear them more easily. We submit our troubles and trials to him, and he grants us wisdom. He grants us comfort. He grants us rest and peace. I think of a couple of examples that I'll close with here. One is from the life of David. He was a great warrior king, but he was a man acquainted with many sorrows and adversities, and the psalms are full of those accounts of his challenges, his personal challenges. On uh, on the subject of rest, I think probably one of the most poignant psalms that David penned is Psalm 62, and maybe you'll recognize these words. I'm sure they're familiar to many of you. David wrote, truly my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him, Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. But my soul finds rest in God alone. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. I like to think that in those words that David was foreshadowing the invitation and promise of Jesus in Matthew 11. He understood how this was meant to work. As we close our time together, let me challenge you with a quote. It's one that I'm sure many of you have heard me share before. From the lips of the famed evangelist, Billy Graham, he said on one occasion, if you'd go ahead and put this picture up, Carson, Heaven is full of answers to prayers which no one ever bothered to ask. Think about that. Heaven is full of answers to prayers which no one ever bothered to ask. I want to close with the story of a young woman who learned the principle of the yoke. In fact, she had a rather remarkable God story and it's shared in a book called Sacred Stories by Ruth Tucker. It's the story of a young woman named Charlotte Elliott. One of the greatest evangelistic hymns of all time was written by a woman who knew well the release and peace that comes from confessing one's own sins and failures to God. Just as I am. A hymn frequently sung at the close of evangelistic meetings was written by Charlotte Elliott, who at one time had been very bitter with God about the circumstances of her own life. Charlotte was an invalid from her youth and deeply resented the, the Constraints that her handicapped placed on her activities. In an emotional outburst on one occasion, she expressed those feelings to Dr. Cesar Milan, a minister who was visiting in her home. He listened and was touched by her distress, but he insisted that her problems should not divert her attention from what she needed most to hear. He challenged her to turn her life over to God and to come to him just as she was, with all of her bitterness and anger. She resented what seemed to be an almost callous attitude on his part, but yet God spoke to her through him, and she did commit her life to the Lord. Each year, on the anniversary of that decision, Dr. Milan would write Charlotte a letter encouraging her to continue to be strong in the faith. But even as a Christian, she had her doubts and struggles. One particularly sore point was her inability to effectively get out and serve the Lord. At times, she almost resented her brother's successful preaching and evangelistic ministry. She longed to be used of God herself, but she felt with her that her health prevented it. Then in 1836, on her 14th anniversary of of her conversion, while she was alone in the evening, the 47-year-old young woman, Charlotte Elliott, wrote her spiritual autobiography in verse. Here, in this prayer of confession, she poured out her feelings to God, feelings that countless individuals have now identified with in the generations that followed. The third stanza, perhaps more than any others, describes her own pilgrimage. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, Fightings and fears within, without. O Lamb of God, I come. Years later, when reflecting on the impact that his sister had made in penning this one single hymn, the Reverend Henry Van Eliot said, "In the course of a long ministry, I hope that I've been permitted to see some fruit of my labors, but I feel far more has been done by a single." him from my sister's pen, just as I am. So friends, let's come together before the Lord in this moment, just as we are, with all of our burdens, all of our baggage, all of the weariness that we carry, and let's invite him to help us. Let's invite him to teach us. Let's Yoke ourselves to him in this moment. And I hope and pray that you'll learn to do that consistently day by day. Would you pray with me? Let's stand together in God's presence.